go to the book of Genesis with me, the book of Genesis chapter 9, and uh, we're going to go to verse number 13. If you're there, just say amen. amen. Praise God. 9 and 13, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token. Somebody read that to me. It shall be for a what? A token of what? Token of covenant. It shall be for a token of a covenant. I wish we understood that powerful word. The rainbow was the token. It was the sign, the evidence of the covenant that God was making between himself and the earth. I do set my bow. Whose bow is it? Oh, y'all are preaching awful good. I thought that belonged to somebody else. They're taking ownership of it. The Lord said, I have set my bow. And it is a sign, a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth. That the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And what did he say? I will remember my covenant. I will remember my covenant. Now, I'm getting ready to preach something to you tonight. That uh, I showed my wife. She came in the office tonight what I was going to preach. She started chuckling when she saw my my slide, my title tonight, because most people, when they see a rainbow, they don't think about covenant. They think about anything outside of covenant. But tonight, if I could, for the next few moments, I want to preach to you from the simple subject, don't get over the rainbow. Don't get over the rainbow. And you may be seated. In Jesus' name. Don't get over the rainbow. I'd like to take your attention tonight just for the cause of laying some groundwork to the very beginning of Genesis chapter 9. And I will do my best this evening to get you in and out of here uh, so that you don't have a... Uh, even colder, slick drive home. Thank you for making it out tonight. Uh, I know there are many that could not. Some of you gro drove great distances to be here, and I'm so very grateful. Sister Horner came in and said, we were slipping and a-sliding. <laughs> Praise God. And so I appreciate you slipping and sliding into the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, I was here early this evening, and you precious saints of God began showing up at 5.15, 5.30. You were ready to be here, so... My word, thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Nine and one, God blessed Noah. God blessed Noah and he blessed Noah's sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Somebody shout multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Another word for replenish here, the literal word is fill up. Fill up the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill up the earth. After the flood and the waters had receded, and I don't want to regurgitate anything that we talked about Sunday, but just to touch briefly on it for context tonight, we understand that Noah was playing a waiting game with God. Because it's God that says when enough is enough. When he went on to that ark, the Lord did not just say to him, this is how I'm going to do everything and this is how long it's going to take and this is when you're going to see the first sign, this is what you're going to do. Sometimes your faith walks into a place with God that you don't really know what his next move is. But my faith cannot be predicated on his next move. My faith is determined by my next move. 
And my next move is whatever he says, that's what I'm doing. I know that there are a lot of people who spend a lot of time in prayer asking God to bless their life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be blessed. I want to be blessed. As a matter of fact, I find myself often borrowing the prayer from Jabez. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. I love to pray that prayer. I pray it very frequently. But more than that, on a daily basis, I pray to the Lord that he would give me wisdom and understanding and that he would give me exceeding much wisdom and understanding. As Solomon prayed that my wisdom and understanding would be exceeding much, my largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore, and that my wisdom would excel that of all of the east country and all of that of Egypt. Why, pastor, why? Because there is a difference in asking God to just bless you and asking God to give you wisdom. Because if God gives you wisdom and you walk in wisdom, it's not as hard for God to bless you because wisdom will seek out what God is already blessing and that's where you'll live and where God is blessing When that's where you drive your tent stakes in the ground, it's not hard to be blessed because you're not just asking God to bless you. You're asking God to show you what he's blessing, and that's where you want to be. Somebody shout amen. So I don't know tonight that there's anything wrong with asking God to bless your life. But there are a lot of people asking God to bless some things that I'm pretty sure God don't want to bless. And uh, if I could say it with all the kindness I can muster up tonight, our opinions of what he wants to bless are irrelevant. We don't get a vote in his kingdom on what he's blessing. Amen. He spent a lot of his word telling us what holy looks like. And he said, that's what I bless. I bless people that bless me. I bless people that love me. I bless people that give to me. I bless people that stay connected to me. I bless people that don't turn their back on me. I bless people that when they fall, they get back up. He is a blessing God, but he's not just handing out blessings to the left and to the right for just any old body. That's why tonight I say when the Lord blessed Noah in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, He blessed Noah and he blessed his sons. He did not bless Noah because Noah was a cool guy. He did not bless Noah because Noah was a good uh, nautical engineer. He blessed Noah because Noah was obedient. Noah's blessing was a byproduct of his obedience. And because he blessed God in his obedience, God blessed him when the boat landed on top of the mountain he said I am going to bless that man because that man knows how to find grace so now Noah's at a he's at a strange place because he rode out the storm now I'm going to try to teach to you some things tonight that I hope you'll get the principle and will not miss what I'm saying to you There are a lot of people that you will meet in your lifetime that have difficulty in storms because they are human beings, because they bleed when you prick their flesh. Amen. Because they have a heart. Because they are created by the hands of God. Made in his image? Absolutely. But there's not anybody in here, if we were just completely real, that could not stand up tonight and testify and say, I've been through some storms that they rocked me. Is there anybody sitting in this house that'd be honest enough in this gargantuous crowd tonight that's so intimidating to lift your hand and say, Pastor, I thought it was going to kill me. I I didn't think I was going to survive the storm. That's all right. I didn't think I was going to make it. I I, I really didn't. But how many of you, let me see them same hands tonight of how many of you, you made it and you lived through it and you're, you're looking back on it and you know now that you are what you are because you came through it. Come on, somebody. You are what you are because you stood when you could have sat down. Come on now. You just kept on rowing when you could have quit.
You kept on being faithful when you could have stopped, but thanks to God Almighty, you just stayed in the race. When I was a, when I was a little boy, I was carnal, and I liked to watch Rocky. Rocky is the epitome of the spirit of the underdog. Adrian, I can't do it, Adrian. He's the underdog. He's, he's ready to get killed in the ring, fighting the Russian. The Russian's got the upper hand. Even Drago looks at him and says, I must break you. you know, you're like, oh, if I could kill that guy. You know, you're just rooting for the underdog, rooting for the underdog. And man, the Russian just beats him, slapped to death. It's a thousand wonders that, that we didn't have fights at school every stinking day. Because, man, Rocky inspired a generation of people that can run up the steps, get to the top of the steps. How many Rockyites I got in here tonight? Don't you be lying in the house of God. Yo, Paulie. Rocky. He's getting beat down. The Russian had him against the ropes, man. He fell down. He lays down. He gets up, and they've already got his eyes. Somehow they got it made up, and it looks like it's closing shut on him. He can't see it. Blood's running down his face. Man, he's just beat, slapped to death. And all of a sudden, he looks at his trainers, and he says, well, I can't do it. I can't go back in there. And they're like, you got to get back in there, Rocky. You got to get back in there. You're going to knock him down. You're going to knock him down. They're like, I can't do it. You got to get back in there. You know, it's back and forth, back and forth. And finally, whatever it is that breathes just enough wind into his sail, he gets back up. He squares up his shoulders. And I'm taking some of you to Hollywood right now. God forgive us. Rocky squares up his shoulders and he lets out this deep, like that. How many of you remember seeing that? Don't raise your hand. And he goes, come on. Anybody remember that? Come on. I can't tell you how many days in my life that I've gone to bed at night saying, I can't, I can't do it. I'm tired of not sleeping. I'm tired of being restless, I'm tired of my brain feeling like it's fried, and you go to bed and you're like, I can't do it. And the Holy Ghost is like, come on, boy, get back in there, get back in there. I'm like, I just can't do it, man. I, I had my crying party. But then I come to the house of God. I don't know how to explain this. I really don't know how to explain this. But I come to the house of God and y'all start worshiping. The presence of God is so rich. And all of a sudden, I just feel this thing come over me like, I can do it. I've got this thing, man. I'm going to do, do this. And I get up behind the pulpit and thank God I don't do it in a pair of shorts and no shirt on. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I do flex underneath my dress shirt. And I say, come on. That's how we ought to be every day that we get up and just look the day and the devil right square in the eye and say, come on. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm going to make it through this thing. I'm going to outlast this. I'm going to make it. Hallelujah. Somebody shout yes. I'm going to make it. And so everybody has difficulty in storms. And this is, this is a tough tough place to be let's just be honest let's be transparent let's let's keep our heart out on our sleeve enough to say if you're a human being in your right mind you hurt we've all suffered loss my god have mercy precious people in this church the things that we've been through together the things that your families and whatever been together through the years enough to make people quit but you're still here Boy, that was the best preaching I've done in a month. You're still here. Well, I, I think you are. I said, you're still here. He gave you his best shot. And you're still here. He tried to take you out, but you're still here. 
He tried to steal your faith, but you're still here. He tried to mess with your family and your children, but you're still here. Come on. He tried to rip your confidence, but you're still here. Are you wounded? Sure you've been wounded. Do you carry battle scars? Absolutely. But your scars are part of your testimony. You're still standing. Oh, yeah. Look at your neighbor and tell him tonight, don't get over the rainbow. Now, I know some of you other spiritual people, as soon as I said that, you heard Judy Garland, didn't you? I don't know. Some of you may have heard the big Hawaiian guy that sings it on a ukulele. I don't know. Somewhere over the rainbow. Way up high. Birds fly over the rainbow. So why, then oh why, can't I? The storms are tough seasons. They are times in our lives that take our breath away. There are seasons in our lives that, honest to goodness, if we had it our way on more than one day during that journey, we would pick up our white flag of surrender and we would throw it in. We would quit. We would stop. But there may be that one sermon that one Wednesday night when you didn't want to go because there was ice on the road. And you came on to the house of God and God speaks that one word of assurance in your ear in this house tonight. I am with you always. Even. Even. Come on, somebody preach this with me right now. Even to the end of the world. I will never leave you. Come on, y'all are preaching to me right now. This this ain't hard to preach right here. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. How many of you can testify tonight that when he should have walked away, he didn't walk away, and you're so glad he didn't? Hallelujah. Oh, the million times he could have walked out on me. And so... We come to this place in life that you can't really blame God and you can't blame people. I mean, you can, but it doesn't do any good because when you start pointing fingers at the people that have created the pain, then somehow it comes back on you and you think maybe you were a part of that and it's a vicious cycle and there's unforgiveness and there's bitterness and it it, it brings up grief again. And it's like you're in the storm, you're in the storm, you're in the storm, and what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to tell you what you're going to do tonight. This is deep, so put on your floaties and your nose clipper. You ready? Y'all, y'all ready to swim tonight? I'm going to tell you what you do. You have no choice. Just keep on hanging on. That's it. I, hey, I, I wish I had better news for you than that tonight. I wish there was some way that I could... Break this down for you in the power of some scriptural revelation. But here's what I find out with everybody in the book that goes through junk. If you keep standing, there is coming a day that the clouds are going to roll away. The sun is going to shine again. And you're going to feel that gentle nudge of the Holy Ghost that just keeps on pushing you and lets you know. I'm right here with you. I'm going to walk with you. You're in the storm, but you're not alone. I know the boat's rocking, but I've been sleeping in it. It's all right. Can I tell you that if it's not enough to wake Jesus up, it's sure not going to shake him up. I'm trying to stay in my Wednesday night mode here, so stay with me. Rocked in the storm. So let's fast forward to chapter 9. We've come through all of the building process. This is the part where God prepares you for the storm that you really don't even know how big the storm's going to be. They prepared for it with pitch inside and pitch outside. My God, you could do a six-week series on just that. Why was it important for the inside pitch and the outside pitch? Well, it's very important that we understand that this relationship with God is not just an inward relationship. But if I say I've got the Holy Ghost in my life and everywhere I go I don't have it on the outside and people think I'm a mean old man, then I really don't have the pitch on the inside either. Come on, somebody. I've got got to be as powerful on the outside as I am on the inside and vice versa. 
because you can pitch the outside, but there's going to be some issues on the inside. And I think that may be a bigger problem than we realize. There's people that fix up the outside, and then they've got inward problems. And it's easy to hide that, but they pitch it on the outside, on the inside. They, they milled all the wood. They got it all taken care of. I, I really can't imagine the back-breaking work, how many men they had to employ to get it done, to carry the weight. Oh, I just can't even imagine what they had to go through. My family and I went to uh, the Ark in, in, uh, over by Cincinnati and Kentucky side, and uh, they've got a little video series in there on Noah. How many of y'all been to the Ark? I, don't, I doubt he was that cool, really. I mean, but the, the, the thing that I want to get to you is that while all of that felt like it was going to kill him, it was the preparation for what he was getting ready to go through. And then he gets on to the ark, the big box, and he doesn't shut the door. The Lord shuts the door because the kingdom of God is effectively understood by doors that when he shuts it, man can't open it. And when he opens it, man can't shut it. Well... See, when I, when I say those things spit into the fifth row, you guys really get with them. If you can ever, ever learn the principle of open and closed doors in your life, you're going to save yourself a lot of frustration. Because we spend a lot of time at closed doors, kicking, clawing, and scratching, and saying, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God, make it happen. Open the door, open the door. And he's saying, it's not my will. And then when the door finally comes open and he lets you walk through and, and it goes to hell in a handbasket, and you're like, God, where'd you go? And he's like, I'm still waiting outside the door. I heard all my life when I was a boy that God works through open doors and, and closed doors, but sometimes there's hell in the hallway. And you're standing out there waiting, God, what are you going to do next? And so all of these principles are in the story of Noah. God closes the door. Did man try to open the door? Sure they did. I guarantee you they did. I guarantee you they clawed and scratched for everything they were worth. I, I would guarantee you that if we believe they know where it is, uh, Ron Wyatt found it, they believe the ark, it's, it's the, the Turkish government's recognized it, all kinds of, they believe that that is the ark. And of course, it's so old and all of those things are hard to tell. But I promise you that if there was any way that you could see uh, the marks on that wood, I promise you. That all along the bottom of that ark, there were nail marks where people were clawing and scratching and doing everything they could. So here's another principle. Once God closes the door and he says it's too late, guess what? Did I just preach about heaven and y'all didn't even know it? See, I, I just preached about the rapture. Oh, well, I, I believe you're going to get a second chance after trumpet sounds. Well, you better take that doctrine somewhere else and get it worked on a little bit fine-tuned. I'm not hanging around to see if there's going to be a second rip at it. Well, what about when we come rule and reign with it for a thousand years? Well, I, I plan on being in that number. The, the day that I walked off the temple mount, I said, Sister Carr, I said, I may not see it again in this, in this life, but I'm going to see it again because I'm going to come back with him on the back of a white horse. And I'm going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And I'm, I'm not going to have to fire a weapon. I'm not going to have to have a BB gun. I'm not going to have to have a cannon. I'm going to sit behind him and watch him say, right on, King Jesus. And the Bible said that a flaming sword, which is the word of God, is going to come out of his mouth and begin to, uh, to, to judge in the earth. And guess what? I'm going to be on the backside of the sword saying, go get him, Jesus. I'm going to see it again. I mean, I hope I see it again, but if he wants to come back tonight, I don't want to stay here just to go see it again. You understand what I'm saying? I got to hurry up and get where I'm going. I got to get you out of here tonight. So there's a lot about this powerful story. I wish we could preach it and teach it in full depth tonight. But understand what I'm saying to you. The principles all along the way that what he thought was going to kill him was really just God getting him ready. And then he gets on after he's got it all finished. This is one of the craziest parts of the story we don't ever teach and preach very much. He gets on the boat, and if you read it, you notice this little thing, this little blip right in the middle, that once it was finished, that he and his family and all the animals had to sit on there for seven days. Think about this. They're in the will of God. Everything's loaded up and where it's supposed to be, but God still hasn't come through. 
And for a seven-day season, people are walking by that open door saying, See you, big dummy. Told you it wasn't going to happen. Three days in, they're like, Yep, you morons have been in there for three days. And Noah's just sitting in the promises of God saying, I don't know. And his wife looks at him and says, Noah, did we miss something? I mean, as in we, I mean you. I mean, did you miss God? Ham, Shem, and Japheth are having a conference over there in the, in the, uh, over by the smorgasbord. And they're talking about this. Hey, man, I think Dad's lost his mind. I think these last 100, 120 years have been hard on Dad. I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. He said the Lord told him that when we got on here, this door was going to close. And Man, when it closes, it closes. But, hey, we've been on here for a week. And so some say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the reason there was a seven-day window, Brother Jordan, is because God was given the earth seven more days to walk by the, the ark and repent. I don't believe that. That ark was not big enough for the whole world. Uh-oh. So here's a principle. If you want an ark for your family, you got to build your own. You can't expect the preacher to build your family's ark. And so what we've got now is a man that feels like, by all rights, he's in the will of God. And he's sitting in this ark. And he's praying, saying, God, I thought I heard from you. 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 And seven days in, finally, he hears the first creak. It starts to close. So what was it then, Pastor? Was it seven days for the world to walk by and say, hey, 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 we want to get on, we want to get on, we want to get on. No, I'm going to tell you what I believe it was. I believe it was that period in every one of our lives that God gives us ultimately the, the decision-making power when you step into the will of God. Do I really want to be here or not? I believe that seven-day window was for Noah. I believe it was for his family. I believe as they sat there for seven days in that ark pondering whether or not they were in the will of God, heaven was just standing back saying, I want to see how bad you really want it. And at the seventh day, somebody shout perfection. At the seventh day of perfection, when the Lord said it is now the perfect time. Don't you think that number doesn't matter? It's in there just like it was in creation. And the Lord said, at the perfect time, I'm going to close this door and the job will be done. So let me say to somebody tonight that's in limbo in the will of God and you feel like you're where you're supposed to be, but you just can't figure out why God hasn't answered. When's he going to do it, Pastor? When the timing is perfect. When the timing is perfect, you can count on it. That God is going to begin to do what he said he would do. Can I just quote you a little book in here tonight? Be not weary in well-doing for in due season. Somebody shout perfect timing. In due season, you're going to reap if you faint. Man, y'all are preaching. You faint not. So. The building was rough. The seven-day period was probably as difficult as the 100-plus years. And then for 40 days and 40 nights. And now, Noah's at a place that the storm is over. I don't think y'all are ready for this. Did anybody ever read in the book of Genesis? I tried to find it because I'd love to preach it, Brother Horner. Where the Lord told Noah how to build a control mechanism for the ark. Anybody read that? Did you, Brother Sawyer? You love boats as good as... I, I can't find the place, Brother Diaz, where the Lord said, this is how you're going to build it. But when you get on the water, you're going to drive it. I'm giving you control. He said, there is no control surface. There is no rudder. There is there, absolutely not. There's, there's, there's no power on here, no propulsion whatsoever. When I get through raining and you're on top of a situation, first thing is be thankful that you're in the ark. But don't try to manipulate where you're going from here. When you get in a place that is so deep that you have to trust God, 
that wherever you go, that's where you go, and you're willing to accept that, then we have stopped trying to manipulate the will of God, and we have stopped trying to say, okay, God, I'll do this if you'll do this. I think I found it right there. I think I, I think I found the old vein. What's a what's a famous famous cliche word now? Never really heard of until the last year or so. The quid pro quo. That's what we're doing. We're saying God, I will, but you're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and then we call it a fleece. God, I'll do exactly what I know the book says to do. I'll go back. I'll make my spirit right. I'll repent. I'll fix all of that. But I need you to do this, this, and this, and this. You have just walked outside the parameters of the word of God and the will of God. Well, but, 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 pastor, if I, do, if I forgive now, what happens if they smite my cheek again? Well, that's the fun part of the scripture. That's the red letter part. That's, that's the part that Christians don't like to talk about. They just like saying they're a Christian. Because the Lord said, if they smite your cheek. My Lord, y'all are preaching tonight. Offer them the other. And matter of fact, if, they, if, they, if they, they steal your coat off of you, give them your cloak too. He said, I'll tell you what. If they ask you to go a mile, go too. But that's not fair. Nope. But you're not in control. Man, oh man. Brother Haney, you could come finish this tonight. I feel it. You're not in control. There was no control surface. The will of God is not manipulated by men. Do you know why the Lord wanted that ark to rest where it rests? Because I don't. I've researched... Probably hundreds of hours. Hundreds. There's, there's no good reason. But God does things that you'll never understand the reason why. The only thing you need to understand is that wherever he is resting you, you are resting in his blessing. So I brought you to this point right here to tell you. There's some people that leading up to the storm. They struggle. When they get in the storm, they think it's going to kill them. When they lose all control, they have to either learn to trust God and just survive, or they end up lost. So the question is, would you rather be on an ark with no control, or would you rather make your way to that top window and just jump out of the window and say, you know what, I, I think this is the best place for me to be, so I'm just going to swim. No. Where you want to be is where he's in control. Now, I'm getting ready to teach to you my whole lesson. So I brought all this to you to bring you to this place tonight. We know that people hurt. And we know that people have struggles when they function in the storm. But God finally lets the bird come back with the olive branch in his mouth. And he knows that the waters are receding. Somebody say, it's almost over. It's almost over. Come on, somebody shout it. It's almost over. And all of a sudden, on this sunshiny day, the door that God closed, God now opens. And when God opens the door, the Bible said that Noah and his family, they walked off of the boat. And we come to chapter 9. They have made it through the storm. And now they are living in the blessing. And as they step off of the ark, they walk in to the favor of God. God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then he gave them the rainbow and he said... I'm going to show you this rainbow as a token for my covenant. And here is what I want you to know, Noah. Every time you see that rainbow, I want you to be reminded that I have a covenant with you and I have a covenant with the earth. 
Don't ever let men take that rainbow from you. Don't ever let men take the promise from you. You have made it through the storm and now you're living in favor. You are living in the blessing of God. Don't ever get over the rainbow. Every time you see it, let it be that that rainbow speaks to you that I am a God who knows where you are. I'm a God that was with you in the building process. I'm a God that was with you during the storm. I'm the God that controlled that boat when you didn't know where it was going. So now I'm giving you the rainbow. Now stay in my favor. I'm hurrying. Now if you've been in chapter 9 this week, you have read it for yourself. I'm going to bless you. And he said, the fear and dread of you will be known throughout all the earth. You read through this chapter, it's unbelievable. God begins to speak with him. You know, there is a way to hear God's voice on the other side of a storm that sometimes you just can't hear it while you're in it. God gets real, real quiet when the rain's falling. And so now he's hearing from God. I mean, you talk about incredible. I walk out of my storm. I'm living in favor. I'm in the blessing of God. And here it is, man. God's speaking to me. I've got more direction than I know what to do. And so I think the first thing that I'm going to do, he makes a wise decision. He steps off and he builds an altar. Can't ever go wrong doing that. Just build an altar to God and make it happen. Make this thing work for you. Build, build an altar to God. Have you ever noticed this is not really what I'm, what I'm, what I'm teaching, but I think it's relevant enough to, to, to bring to your attention tonight. Did you, did you notice that uh, Noah laid nothing down at the altar? Anybody find me a place? Anywhere in the scripture that the altar was about what he receives? You thought about this? We talk about the altar all the time being the place that we come to receive and be blessed. The altar was always in the scripture a place where men came to bless God. What an incredible trade-off. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of blood. It's a place of dying. It's a place where I come to bring God my best. I didn't come to lay all my burdens down at the altar. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying this altar at an altar of repentance is one thing. Your everyday altar needs to be a place in your life where you come to bless him. Man, I had y'all at the favor part. Build him an altar. The blessing of God's on him. Somebody say he lived through the preparation lived through the building. He lived through the storm. He made it with no control. But now, now the door's open. He walks out. He's in the favor of God. Verse 20, please, Brother Tyler. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Noah is obeying the voice of God. What did verse 1 say? He blessed him. He told him, be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. You know why I did that? Because this was a season of new beginnings. It's what he said in creation when he created man. He said, this is a new beginning, man. Just, just go do this thing. Do the right thing. So he begins to be a husbandman. He's taking care of the vineyard. Man, I'm fixing to help somebody in this place right now. He begins to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. Verse 21, please. And he drank of the wine. And he was drunken. He was uncovered in his tent. I've brought you to a place tonight that I need to get a word in your spirit. Some people have the uncanny ability to survive the storm. But when the storm is over, they cannot handle favor. I wish tonight... There would be some way that, like a tape recorder off of his mind, Bishop Bingham could begin to tell you the stories, and I could tell you the stories, and my father tell you the stories of the people all through the years, Brother Hensel, that said, if God will just put my family back together, we'll serve the Lord. If God will just give me my job back, we'll serve the Lord. You know what? This is a principle you've got to get way down deep in your heart. If you won't serve God, 
during the storm, you are not going to serve God during favor. Don't, don't you think for one minute that living in favor changes your character. Your character is not formed in the storm. Your character is formed in the process of life, building who you are, so that when you finally step out into the favor and you are healed, then you know how to handle success. And this is a big problem in the kingdom of God. People come to God and they have no job and they have no blessing and they have no life and their family's a mess and their children are gone and they're just all turned inside out. They're addicted to this and they're addicted to that and their world is upside down. And so they begin to talk the language and they start learning the polished professional Pentecostal language. Well, if God will give me that job, then I'll do this. And if God, listen, here, let, let's break this down Gerber style tonight. Let's get it down here. If you can't pay tithes on $10, you're not going to pay tithes on $1,000 a week. Some people survive the storm, but they die in the land of favor. When you come through the storm and the door opens for you to finally walk in the miracle of God and you begin to plant and you start to see the harvest from your planting, don't get drunk on success. All it took for Noah to get over the rainbow was success. It took a turn, didn't it? So this leads us to a soul-searching place. Why do you love him? Do you love him for what he can do for you? Or do you love him for who he is? There's a sweet presence in here. I don't know who's watching online. I'm assuming we have a whole lot that are watching online tonight because of the weather. But God's ministering to somebody right now. You made it through the storm. But now you're struggling in the season of open doors and successes. Now, I want to take you in closing to, in my opinion, what seems to be a kind of a sad deal. Verse 21, he drank of the wine, he was drunken, he was uncovered within his tent. Verse 22 picks up Ham. It's a sad story. Some things that go on I don't really want to talk about tonight, just some... Some, some terrible things. 24, he said he finally awoke from his wine. He knew what Ham had done to him. And now his offspring is being cursed because he couldn't handle success. Think about this. This may be some of the most valuable teaching that pastor will do all year. Now that he's in success. He starts losing his grit. Listen, this was the same son, one of three, that was willing to trust his father through the building process, through the storm, get on the boat with him. But now, because his father does not know how to handle success, Ham says, I have no respect for him. And he walks into the private place of his father's dwelling and disrespects the man that brought him to where he is. Could you imagine bringing your family that far and then losing the respect of your children because you don't know how to be successful? Now, this is how it ends. Noah lived after the flood 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. Period. Now I want you to think about how much was recorded about this man. Over a 120-year process of building, growing, trusting God, 
And then when God lets him walk into favor, he gets intoxicated on his own harvest. And over the next 350 years, there is not one recorded word about Noah. He believed God, found grace in the sight of God, obtained a good report. We read that in Hebrews 11 by faith. He obtains a good report. But when he could not handle the blessings of God, the Lord said, I've got nothing else to say about you. And he died. This, my friends, is a story that really, it's easy to rejoice during the crescendo because of the power of faith being revealed. But at the closing of the chapter, it's one of the saddest things that I've ever seen. He got drunk on blessing. Got drunk on favor because he didn't know how to handle it. And in, in the heart of humanity, there are these conversations. God, I... I deserve this. We go from the altar of being grateful for what he's done. Thank you for bringing us through the storm. And now it becomes about, well, don't, don't worry about the altar. Look at what I've done now. Look at my success. I am now the husbandman of these vineyards. Look, God, at what I've done. Look at all of my success. I've got more than I ever had. And we forget the reason you've got more is because you obeyed God. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have survived the storm that got you to the success. So don't get drunk on your success and act like you got it all together. I want to tell somebody tonight, it is the blessing of God. It is the will of God to bless us, to, to let us walk and live in favor. But if we're not careful, we're going, to start, we're going to start showing God what we live through. Lord, look at what I did for you. You didn't build that ark for God Lord, Lord, Lord look what I did I gave you the opportunity to bless the earth and replenish the earth and the Lord said no I saved you for that I brought you out for that I spared your life for this moment don't go getting drunk on who you are you are who you are because I brought you here Tell your neighbor tonight, I can't get drunk. I wonder, after Noah got drunk, and I'm closing, after he got drunk, now his son is gone and his lineage is cursed. I wonder what went through his mind the next time he saw a rainbow. Church family, I want to ask you a question tonight. How long does it take to get over his majesty? How long does it take to get over his splendor? How long do you serve the Lord before he's no longer wonderful to you? How long are you in the church before when you look his direction, you no longer get weak in the knees and realize how holy he is and how unholy you are? How long does it take for the wonder of who he is to just become what God owes us? I'm not going to church because of how good he is. I'm going because it's my obligation. I'm over the rainbow. It don't matter anymore. Isaiah said it like this, his name shall be called wonderful. Before he's the counselor, before he's the mighty God, before he's the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He said he's wonderful. You know what that means? He is full of wonder. 
He is so bashete andulubahaya. He is the kind of God that you cannot look his way and not be amazed and not be astonished. Can I tell you that if you're at a place right now in a land of success that you're starting to get over the rainbow and he is no longer majestic to you. He is no longer wonderful to you. He is no longer mighty to you. You better take a look at your life because more than likely you are becoming intoxicated on the grapes of the harvest that God sent you and you're beginning to look at the rainbow differently don't get over the rainbow tonight God has been too good to you his name is still wonderful he is still majestic he is still beautiful he is altogether lovely shall we stand How long does it take to get over the rainbow? That you look at the ministry you're supposed to be in and it doesn't bother you anymore. Used to, Adam, when you would look towards the garden and see the flaming sword, it was horrible. But now... It's just another fixture of the judgment of God. God's going to do what he's going to do, and he's put me in this place. Don't ever forget, Adam, he could have threw you away and started over, but his mercy. But pastor, that's not fair because the flaming reminder kept him out. No, you don't understand. That flaming reminder was a message of mercy. Every time he looked that way, that sword could have taken his life. But as he looked in that direction, the flaming reminder said, I can't go where I used to go, but by his mercy, I will go on another day. Don't. Don't get over the rainbow. Because the promises of God are directly connected to his covenant. And covenants can never be one-sided. You cannot hold God to his end of the bargain if you're not willing to keep your end. So tonight I'm asking you right where you stand, unless you feel so moved tonight to step out and come to this altar. I'm asking you right where you stand. You just raise your hands and let's begin to talk to the Lord. Father, forgive us tonight for the things that we take for granted. Forgive us for the times that we expect to just walk into your presence and expect that you're just going to meet us here because we are the husbandmen of the vineyard. God, every vine in the vineyard, every stem on that vine, every piece of fruit on that vine is because of your goodness. And I cannot afford to be intoxicated on blessing so much that I'm not moved by the rainbow anymore. I'm over it. I pray that your word will speak to somebody in this house tonight. Challenge us by the power of the Holy Ghost. Fathers, we leave this place. Keep your hand upon us. Keep us safe until we come back together again. Bless those that have joined us online tonight. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. 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 Church family, would you give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise? Look at your neighbor and tell him tonight, don't get over the rainbow. Amen. Prayer meeting tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. God bless you.